If I can uh, draw your attention, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And I'm going to be covering quite a number of verses today, so you may want to take notes if you can, and or get the copy of the message afterward, and you can review it. But let me read to you John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Father, thank you for your word. As Florian has led us to you in song and in bringing our hearts to you and knowing we are accepted in the beloved and uh, having a heart that wants to hear from you. Thank you for your word. We pray you would accomplish your will in each one of our lives today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus said to Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I've entitled the message today, how can I be sure that I'm born again? How can I be sure that I'm born again? Uh, some folks might think, you mean you came all the way from Visalia to deal with that subject? How can I be sure I'm born again when California's on fire and uh, the nation is uh, so troubled more than we've ever been and more trouble is going to come Tuesday night and Wednesday and the days ahead and there's the epidemic that we deal with and globally it's, it's not any better. Why in the world would we on a Sunday morning be interested in looking at the subject of how can I be sure I'm born again? And as I thought about what my answer to that would be, would be simply this, that um, though those other problems I've mentioned are very, very real and very tragic, uh, there's not a thing in the world I can do about all those. But what I can do is look to the Lord and listen to him and make sure I am born again because the problem of COVID is something that uh, will eventually be settled but the real problem is the problem of sin. And there's only one remedy to sin, and that is the salvation which is given to us freely by God through Christ, uh, by his grace in faith. And also, I'm of the belief that many, many uh, believers, not necessarily you, I don't know, could be, but many believers are really not sure if they're born again. They lack assurance of salvation. And some people who profess to be believers uh, actually are not believers, uh, but they're sure that they are. And so part of what we're going to look at today is, uh, what we're going to look at today is how can I be sure, or how can you be absolutely sure that, of your, that you're born again? And if you are sure, wonderful, this should only encourage you. If you're not sure, this could help you. If you're not a believer, this could drive you home this afternoon to really seek God to make sure you are born again. And lastly, this can help you to disciple other people who might want to know exactly what the answer is as well. 
in verse 3, Jesus used the word unless. He also used the word must, M-U-S-T, two times. So a total of four times he used the word unless and then must. And the word, these words, unless and must, mean except on this condition. Except on this condition or without this taking place. So you could read it this way, most assuredly I say to you that except on this condition, being born again, you cannot uh, see the kingdom of God, or without this taking place, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So uh, the term born again uh, also is translated regeneration, regenerated, and it is a vital and necessary part of God's redemptive plan of salvation. And of course, his plan of salvation is to redeem us, to save us from our sin, from its punishment, God's wrath upon our sin, and our eternal separation from God. That is why God sent Christ into the world to save us from those things. And being born again is part of the the whole salvation uh, reality. And so the message today, uh, I pray, is gonna really help us to understand how can I know for sure that I'm born again? In fact, even the question, what does it mean to be born again, is a good question. So I wanna look at three things today with you. Number one, what does it mean to be born again? What does that phrase actually mean? And how does it happen? How does a person become born again? Or what causes them to become born again? And thirdly, what is the evidence of being born again? Because there is evidence. So to begin with then, what does it mean to be born again? We're gonna find out here this morning. In the Gospel of John chapter one, verses 10 through 13, the apostle explains to us what it means to be born again, what it doesn't mean, and what it does mean. He says concerning Jesus, he said he was in the world, he came into the world in the incarnation, and the world was made through him. He's the creator. But the world did not know him. The world didn't receive him. Even those who came for the healings and the food, that's really what they wanted. It was very few people that wanted him for who he was. And Ultimately, everybody abandoned him and the, the religious leaders uh, rejected him and man himself, you and I, before we were saved, uh, we didn't really want to know him either. We were at enmity towards God. But he came unto his own or his own world or his own people, the Jews, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, and we're talking now about what it means to be born again, but as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what does it mean to be born again? Well, it starts with receiving him. As many people as received Christ, to those people, God gives the right to those people to become his child. And he says to those who believe in his name or in his person, uh, who he is, 
that he is the son of God. He is God in the flesh, that he came here to die on the cross for our sins. And I might just say that today, when you hear the gospel or you hear preachers talking about supposedly the gospel, uh, they, they, it, it's, much, it's more helpful if they explain what it means to believe in his name. It doesn't mean to, oh yes, I know there's a Jesus. Oh yeah, I believe in him. No, it's not that at all. It's I know who he is. He's the son of God. And I know why he came here. He came here to satisfy the justice of God by receiving the wrath of God upon himself for the sins of the whole world. John the Apostle said in 1 John chapter 2, he died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And he then was buried, he rose from the dead, and there is no salvation apart from him. So that's what it means when a person believes in him in that way, then you receive the right to become a child of God. But then he says, who were born, because becoming a child of God means you become what you were not. You were not a child of God, but by being born again, you become a child of God. You're born again. You have a, uh, it's not a change of, it's not a change within you. It's actually a new life. It's a, uh, you're given spiritual life. You're born again. You are a new creature who were born not of blood, meaning not of your mother and your father, your mother, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what does it mean to be born again? It's not speaking of anything that we have done. You know, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, you had nothing to do with it, did you? You became a living being in the womb of your mother. In the same manner, we can't, there's nothing we can do to cause ourselves to be born again. It's Christ who gives us life. Uh, he gives us life. So John uses six clear answers to explain what it means to be born again. It has something to do primarily with knowing him. It speaks of receiving him. God gives it as a right. It's, it's something that he gives us. And it means you literally become a child of God. And it means being born again happens in those only who believe. You can think of all the people that go to church on a Sunday. There's so many of them that are go they're churchgoers. They would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in Christ. But they've never come into a personal relationship with him where they realized who he is and who they are and asking him to save them. So it's not a physical birth. It's not caused by our flesh, nor even by our will. You can't say, well, uh, I want to, I'm, I'm going to cause myself to be born again. It doesn't work that way. It is uh, of God, not of man. So when we define being born again or regeneration, what does it mean? It's the implanting of a new life in the soul of a human being. It's not changing something. It's implanting a new life. So he's not taking the old and making it better. He's giving a new life. Uh, a little bit more of an amplified definition would be something like this. 
it is the act of God by which a principle of new life is implanted in a man or a woman with the result that they now have a, a governing disposition in their own soul where they're becoming holy or set apart to God. So just like you and I did not cause ourselves to be conceived in the womb of our parents, yes, we believed in Christ, we turned to Christ, and so on. However, being born again is something he does. He, he put in your soul a new life, a new life principle. And uh, in the book of Ephesians, uh, if you want to turn there, or you can just listen, it might be easier for you to listen, Paul really uh, defines the new birth uh, by telling us what we were not and what we've become. He says in Ephesians 2.1, and you, the believers there in Ephesus, he made alive. He didn't say you made yourself alive. He made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And of course, a dead person can't do anything, but God's alive. He's the one who makes us alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which trespasses and sins, the, the realm of sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. We lived a worldly life according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Remember, Jesus' body was in that grave for three days, and then he was raised from the dead, and we are made alive together with Christ. He is our life. We're actually united with Christ. That's a whole other doctrine, the union with Christ, but we're... we're um, he made us alive together with Christ. So the Father made the Son alive, Rose, raised him from the dead, and he made you and I alive. We're in Christ. It's life, every, the life flows through Christ. Let me slow down. I get kind of excited here. Uh, but, um, you know, everything is by Christ, through Christ, in Christ, from Christ, for Christ, because of Christ, etc. Uh, God in heaven couldn't even look at sinful man because he's holy and we're sinful. So there was a blockage. He couldn't even look at us. So he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who was perfectly holy, obeyed the, the law of God completely, went to the cross. That was, he came for that hour. He who knew no sin became sin. He satisfied God's justice showing that God is just, that sin has to be punished. And then he took, he, he, he took all of our sins, he paid for our sins, and then whoever will believe in him 
then God is able to give you life. Everything, it's like a, almost like a, an hourglass, uh, hourglass, you know. You've got everything, it comes down through something, and then it goes out. And then going back up, we can only go to God through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So even when we were, uh, well, let me just go on. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, listen now, think about this. Uh, do we, when you run into somebody who's full of themselves, which of course we've all been that way, uh, or maybe just we haven't, but everybody else has. Uh, you, you, you're with somebody who's full of themselves, and what are they doing? They're talking about themselves, right? They're boasting. And, you know, initially go, oh, okay, you know, but they go on and boasting, and then the next time you see them, they're boasting, and after a while you go, well, <laughs> this is all about you. So can you imagine in heaven, if heaven was filled, of boast, filled with boasting, we say, well, why are you in heaven? Oh, well, let me tell you what I did to get here. And then everybody, and there's zillions of people in heaven, everybody you'd meet would tell you what they did to get there. Instead of, it's the Lamb of God who caused us to be born again. So uh, we're his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. He, he's given us new life. So that's just a little thing attempt, if you will, to talk about what does it mean to be born again. It is the implanting of a new life in the soul. You know, one good little illustration, and I'm not a farmer, so I can, I'll try this, but if you have some pear trees that are of a certain type of pear, but you want them to become like a different kind of pear, what do you do? You take something from that tree, right? And you carve out a portion of this tree and you, you wed it into that, don't you? You wrap it up, don't you? And then you do everything you can to cut off the branches that grow from the first tree and you're encouraging the stuff to grow now from what was added, right? So something was added to that old tree. It didn't change that tree. It was an addition. That's a little bit of an example about it. So that's what it means. And then secondly, well, how does being born again happen? How does it happen? As, noticed, as noted, it's not something we cause to happen. It's, it's, we don't say, well, I'm going to be born again. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. In other words, we cannot make ourselves born again. You just can't. In Titus, in chapter 3, uh, Paul states that it is a work of the Holy Spirit. The question is, and the point is, how does being born again happen? Well, it's not something we do, but here's what Paul says in Titus chapter 3, similar to what he said in Ephesians 2, reminding the people in uh, Crete of what they were before they were saved, 
like what they were before they were saved in Ephesus. He said to Paul, to Timothy, or to Titus, excuse me, he said, Titus, you remind the people to be subject to the authorities, the rulers, they should obey them, and, and the people should be ready to do every good work. They shouldn't speak evil of one another. They should be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves also were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, regeneration means you're bringing something new. It's new life. So how does it happen? How does being born again happen? Well, it happens after it says when the kindness, everything that... <laughs> Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. He gets all the credit. And, and I, you know, um, as you grow in your walk with the Lord over the years, uh, as you're maturing, as we mature in the Lord, we go from being little kids to being young people and then growing up and being mature in Christ. And as we mature, we have a growing appreciation for the fact that God deserves all of the honor, all of the praise, all of the power, because he is the one who has saved us. And that's um, just the truth, isn't it? So when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, uh, speaking of the incarnation of Christ coming to the cross, not by works of righteousness. Oh, I'll be born again if I go to church and tithe and serve and do this and read my Bible and witness. Not at all. Or be a kind man and work at your job and be a good husband, good father. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. How are we born again? It's because of his mercy. He saved us through implanting a new life into us. How about that? You didn't exist until your mom and dad got together, right? You, you did not exist. A new life was created. It wasn't that you were already in there and they caused you to become something different. The new birth is not a, it's not a change of what you are. Your faculties don't change. You're not any smarter when you're born again. You become more aware of truth, but you're not any greater in terms of your abilities. Nothing about you changes except you've received God's life in your soul. How, how about that? Isn't that, uh, I love to think about these things, don't you? Whom he poured out, the Holy Spirit, uh, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Peter says it clearly as well in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 24, 25, excuse me. He says, since you have 
purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now, he's talking there about sanctification. He's not talking about justifying yourself. It's God who justifies. So, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth as we walk with the Lord, uh, we do it through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren. He says, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, having been born again, not of corruptible seed. The reason I'm corruptible is my father was corruptible and my mother was corruptible. We're all sinners, but we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers away and its flower falls away. Now, I did understand that Ruby is having a birthday on the 18th. Uh, so I'm, we're not gonna preempt the 18th by singing happy birthday, but we kind of are, okay? Uh, happy birthday to you. Um, yeah. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So we've looked at what does it mean to be born again? Uh, it's new life, how does it happen? Well, it's through the mercy, the goodness of God. It just, just as when Mary, the mother of Jesus, the angel appeared to her and he, he told her the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and create within her, not create Christ, but Christ who had existed was going to be made alive in her womb. But the Holy Spirit was the one who caused that pregnancy to happen. And, and it's the Holy Spirit who brings us, he, he, the Holy Spirit is the one who applies all the aspects of redemption. And he does it through the word of God. So the title to this message is, how can I know I'm born again? Or how can I be sure I'm born again? And to answer that question, I would say that there are evidences of being born again. How do you know if a child is born? Well, they start screaming, don't they? And they're, they're slobbering and screaming and, you know, and they're checking their, everything's checking and they give them a little nap guard check, uh, whatever that uh, test, uh, nine things if they're really healthy, all nine are doing fine. And that, yeah, this baby is alive. In other words, when somebody's alive, there's activity, of course, sadly. The stillborn is not alive, born dead. But a child that is born, that child is alive. There's activity. And the mother's so happy, this activity's over now, starting there with him or her. So there's evidences of a new birth. When somebody's born again, there are uh, tests, you could say. There are, uh, it, it shows up in a person's life. And, and by looking at these evidences or these tests of what it is to be born again, uh, you can gain assurance. You can say, well, yeah, I, I have that in my life. That's in my life. Yeah, that's in, I've got that. I, yeah, I, you know what? I, I'm born again. Or, you know what? I, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm a good person. Maybe I, I like to come to church and I like people at church. Um, and don't get the don't mistake that 
Born-again people are far from perfect, that's for sure, but they are born again, whereas someone who's not born again is not born again. They could be even living a better outward life than a born-again person is. You follow me? You could talk about this for weeks, and I may do that when I come back, if you still have me. Um, There's no, anyways. uh, The Bible gives us ways to test ourselves to see if we're born again. You know when you go to Disneyland, or you did, and you were little, or you took your grandchildren, they had to stand there, are they this high? In other words, they had to be this high in order to know that they could go. So there's a test, or there are results of being born again. We've noted that when a child is conceived in the womb, it is alive, but it's, it's actually regenerated, and when it is born, that's the new birth, and there are evidences of being born. Uh, born. There's movement, sound, crying, heartbeat. There's no question that child is alive, and there's no question a born-again person is born again. There are evidences, there are results that are found in the life of a born-again person. So let, let me just start with this, going back to this general principle. Regeneration, as we have looked at, is the implanting within us of a principle of spiritual life. When Adam and Eve were created, they had life, they had fellowship with God, and when they disobeyed God, they died. And they lost that spiritual connection with God. So that's the general principle. He, he gives us spiritual life. And life is something that always shows itself. The baby, as we've mentioned. And you, you cannot have life without some kind of manifestation of that life that is as true of spiritual life as it is of any other form of life. You know, if the the, the paramedics, they go and they, they, oh, yeah, he's alive, he's still alive. There's evidence, he's still, no, not alive. So the Bible has many tests that, that are put before us in order to help us know whether we are truly regenerated or not. And the classic portion of the Bible is the book of 1 John. 1 John. And I can't, there's a lot more we could go through, but we can't because of time here today. But that's one of the finest letters in the Bible uh, because you could even entitle that book The Tests of Life. So, The book of 1 John is a book of tests, just like the Beatitudes are a test. And to look at some of these, I want to talk to you about four of them. There are other subsidiary tests, but we can't deal with those at the moment. Um, The first test is this. This may seem rather redundant to you, but you have to think carefully here. The first test is found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And that is, it's the test of believing that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. 
John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Hereby we know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that denies is not of God. So, that Jesus is the Christ is a tremendous statement. It's speaking of the full teaching about who Christ is, and it means that you believe that he is indeed eternal God, one of three persons that make up the Trinity. Let me apply this to religious groups. Think about different cults, like you can just pick your cult because they're all the same. And you'll, you'll see how vital that statement is, believing that Jesus is the Christ. You see, it's not enough for people in a cult to praise Christ or even to say he's the son of God. You must believe that he is Jehovah. This is amazing. God became a man. He retained his deity, but he became a man. God came to the earth. The cults don't believe that. They don't believe that he's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father that he's the second person in the blessed trinity. The Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's that doctrine of the person of our Lord and Savior Christ. And John in his, um, these five chapters, this, he just says it over and over again. In fact, in, um, he says in, in one other place here in 1 Corinthians, uh, he says, whoever, whoever, believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him and so on and Paul said uh, the same thing in 1 Corinthians no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Spirit you have to have new life to be able to say that and you can't have new life unless you believe that Jesus is the Christ they, they go together you don't cause it but they do go together The second test is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. The second test is the test of keeping the commandments. Uh, here's what John says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he, and he is going to describe what those commandments are. Now, he's not talking here about keeping the Ten Commandments in order to be saved, but rather a born-again person walks with Christ, they want to obey Christ. Just like Jesus, when he was here, he always obeyed his Father, we can't always obey him. Florian said that when I surrender all, I you know, have to check myself. We're all the same. But the Christian is a person who's keeping God's commandments. We, we repent, we get back on track, we wanna keep his commandments. Um, you'll find this issue of keeping the commandments in every part of the epistle of 1 John. For example, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. This is what God's love does in a person. And his commandments are not grievous. Uh, he sometimes calls it doing righteousness in 1 John 2, 29. Uh, and here's a way to distinguish between the child of God and the child of the devil. John says, and not only that, not only does this child of God, this person who is born again, keep the commandments, 
To him, the commandments are a delight. God's commandments are not burdensome. Uh, we love the Lord. Now, if we're out of fellowship with him, God seems like a burden because we're out of fellowship. But when we're walking, we love the Lord. We, we love him. Um, a third test is that he has given us the Holy Spirit. He actually indwells our body. Hereby we know, says John at the end of the third chapter, that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he has given us. So somebody might say this, if you just listen carefully, where he says, hereby we know that we know him because he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. So somebody could say, well, how do I know I've received the Holy Spirit? Well, we'll deal with that sometime down the road if I come back here. One aspect of how do I know if I've received the Holy Spirit is that Paul speaks of the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Um, In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit is the spirit of adoption. And one of the proofs, therefore, that the Holy Spirit is in us is that though we may not understand it fully, we have a feeling, a consciousness that God is our Father. He's no longer just God, but he's our Father. And we can say with the disciples, my God, my Father. Um, the last test is that we love other Christians. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And that is a wonderful test, isn't it? Uh, and again, that's something that we could talk about, uh, you know, a lot and I hope we get to down the road. But have you ever noticed that when you go somewhere and you're, you're with people you don't know but, but all of a sudden you've met some people and you say, honey, I think that guy's a Christian. I think he's a Christian. By the way, well, I'm not, I shouldn't bring politics into this. <laughs> I wanna bring a person into this. Even though he uses bad language, I have watched the president carefully. He just said the other day, he now considers himself an evangelical, a non-denominational Christian. Um, and if you listen to him, his tone has changed. He, he's gentler and he's, you know, he does his political stuff. But I personally believe that there's been a change that's taken place. I have friends that were with him in the White House, pastor friends of mine, when, uh, when the president introduced our new Supreme Court Justice, Mrs. Barrett. They went into the Oval Office. In fact, they got COVID just like he did that day. Uh, Greg Laurie was there, Skip Heitzig was there, um, another fellow from Christian uh, Family Research Center, uh, can't think of his name now, but uh, these are men, Franklin Graham. Uh, these are guys that are right there with President uh, uh, 
Trump. And over Easter, he was watching Greg Laurie on Easter Sunday morning, Pastor Jeffers in uh, Texas. These guys are all around him. And uh, so anyways, we'll see, we'll see. But, but surely we love the brethren. Uh, look what he's done for Christianity. And I mean, look what other things he's doing. It's, uh, you know, we belong to a family. We recognize other Christians. We're related to one another. And we prefer that fellowship than anything else. Um, so those are four main tests. There's a whole bunch of others, but uh, we don't have the time to go into them now. But... Um, How do I know I'm born again? What does it mean to be born again? What are the evidences of being born again? So I'm gonna end there with that, and uh, I hope this has been helpful to you guys today. I I hope it has. Um, You might wanna watch the message one more time, but uh, in light of that, do we have the communion elements uh, here? We'll pass them out. Did you want, you wanted me to, Finish this part of the service, is that correct? Okay, thank you. Yes? Ephesians 1.13, I sure can. It's my favorite book in the whole Bible, Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, yeah. You who once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Yeah, if you go over to verses one and two in the first chapter, look what he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, On and on and on and on. In verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's everything is from him, by him, through him, for him, because of him. Pastor Michael sends his regards to you guys. He was happy that I was coming here, and I'm happy I came here. And my plan is to try to come here once, twice a month, maybe on the 1st and the 15th or the 15th and the end of the month, something of that nature. Okay, so it's been a delight to be here with you guys. Has it been a delight for me to be here with you? It's been a delight for you to be here with me. I've sure enjoyed being here, so... Uh, I'm just happy I can be here. So, God bless you. Thank you so much for having us here today. Appreciate it very much. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.